people can be buying the, the wrong benefits for years and have no idea. They, they don't know it's the wrong benefit. Like, how do you know uh, your, your health plan uh, it was, was the right choice? Or how do you know, you know, that, um, you know, the doctor you went to is the right doctor for you to go to? It's, it's, it's you don't, that, that feedback is, is a lot slower than you'd see maybe in some other uh, product market areas. Welcome to Creating Healthier Futures, a new podcast from Allegis. I'm Brian Colburn. And I'm Anna Lyons. In this series, we'll reveal the state of healthcare consumerism through trends and research, our own data, and the health benefit experts that are driving our industry forward. To download the materials discussed in this episode or learn more on the topic, be sure to visit Allegis.com. That's A-L-E-G-E-U-S.com. Thanks for tuning in. In today's conversation, we dive into healthcare tech, specifically as it relates to how consumers select their coverage and pay for their care. While innovation is happening in every corner of the industry, adoption has severely lagged. But then COVID-19 hit. Healthcare processes as we knew them came to a halt, and people and institutions were forced to adapt on the fly. This shift has provided a much-needed spark for healthcare tech and an exciting opportunity for the kind of growth the industry needs. We spoke with two pioneers at the forefront of this change to understand how far the technology has come, particularly in the last few months, and how far we still have to go in helping people make better healthcare decisions. Hi, I'm Sam Kina. I'm SVP of Data Science and Economics at Pickwell. I am a health economist by training. That's um, kind of the field I I went to graduate school for, and that's uh, what what I've been working in my whole career. Um, So I uh, immediately prior to... um, Pickwell, I was working as an economic consultant. Um, and so working for uh, a lot of companies in uh, the healthcare space. Um, and I'd also spent some time working at the Congressional Budget Office, where I was working a lot of health, health policy, healthcare cost forecasting. Could you share a little bit about the Pickwell business and what makes it unique? Yeah, sure. Um, so Pickwell is a company that um, was founded about maybe seven years ago now, uh, by a group of economists at University of Pennsylvania and Wharton Business School. Um, and it's founded around this idea that um, you, know, you can apply a lot of data and um, machine learning or artificial intelligence to help people shop for health insurance. And it kind of came out of this line of research in the health economics field that, um, you know, in spite of the fact that health insurance is a really big purchasing decision that people make every year, uh, they're terrible at it and are kind of wasting a lot of money in the process. So um, they founded this company. And um, uh, since that point, we, we started out just providing decision support for Medicare, but we've since expanded to go into employee benefits. And now that's the bulk of our business, helping employees uh, navigate their benefits, not just health insurance, but a lot of the additional supplemental benefits that come with that. And so uh, at the core of that is um, utilizing data, utilizing machine learning to help people really find the, the right benefit. Hi, I'm Nate Maslach. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of Ribbon Health. Um, so Ribbon is a healthcare enterprise API layer that powers other healthcare solutions to be able to get accurate and comprehensive data on doctors, which insurance plans they accept, and the cost and quality of care. So 
similar to how Pickwell is helping somebody kind of understand the right decision across their benefits, Ribbon's backend solution is helping other companies enable that for the choice of doctors. But rather than us having the interface and try to guide that decision, we'll provide the data layer for a company like Pickwell to then be able to even better optimize that decision. Great. And and thanks, guys, for, for joining today. Um, I'm super excited about this sort of topic of healthcare and technology. And so maybe let's start at a high level for a minute. And uh, Nate, why don't we start with you? I mean, how would you rate the effectiveness of technology and healthcare today? So maybe score of one to 10, and then a little bit of color around why? Yeah, so I think we're probably at like a two or a three, because I think the industry is very much in its infancy. And while I think that technology and healthcare has done an immense amount for how people can think about their care decisions, figuring out how they spend on healthcare and why they spend it the way that they should, I think there's so much more that we can do. And I really feel like we're in the first or second inning of this. Um, so that 10 is on what could happen and what is achievable relative to where we are today. Right. Sam, how, how do you see it? Yeah, I, I mean... Uh, Kind of in, in thinking about this, I had come to about the same number as well. I had, had written down. Um, I think we're at a two, um, and, and some of it depends on you know, when you say technology. What specifically are you talking about? Um, you know, obviously for the provision of healthcare, uh, we're incredibly technologically in, in intensive. Um, we we have some pretty advanced healthcare in this country, but in terms of like the information technology, the the technology that can really um, help organize uh, information and help people kind of understand what they need and what they're buying, that's that's pretty poor. Um, and there's probably a number of reasons for that that we can get into. Um, but but that's an area where there is enormous uh, potential to to just improve uh, all facets of healthcare from the the delivery side to kind of the purchasing side and, and decisions around the, the benefits that help facilitate those purchases. Um, it's, uh, I'd say healthcare lags behind a lot of other industries in, in that capacity. All right. So you guys are pretty consistent around the two out of 10. Help me think about yeah, so we, we must be right there. Then. <laughs> yeah. You've got a consensus. Um, so help me think about two to three years from now. What do you think that number looks like and what, what's really changed? I think one of the things that uh, kind of led me to say I think we're at it too is is that um, a lot of the um, the delivery of healthcare and then a lot of the technologies that um, are available to kind of you and me as as, as patients or consumers um, are are things that um, they're they're not like these direct to consumer uh, products the the decisions around taking up this technology. They're, they're made by institutions and these institutions tend to move pretty slow. So I, I think there are a lot of organizational impediments to really rapid change here. So so I'd say I, I think the number would be higher, but I don't think it would be dramatically higher. Um, hopefully I'm wrong, um, but but I'd say, you know, we could probably get to a four if I, if I was to mark it on that scale. I think that I mean, that's twice what we're at now though. So yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, um, so at risk of just agreeing throughout the rest of the podcast, um, I do think that we'll probably be at like a three or a four over the next two years. But 
And, and I agree with the point that some of these larger institutions might be a little bit slower to move. But I think one of the inflection points that we're seeing and why I'm optimistic that maybe five, seven years from now, that rate of growth is exponential, is that you don't necessarily have to work with the larger, maybe sometimes slower moving institutions. While I think they're really important, we're also seeing this new wave of entry coming in, new ways of care delivery, new ways of paying for healthcare, consumer-directed models that... I think five years ago would not have been possible. And because of just the rapid entry of these companies and venture capital dollars flowing in, I'm really optimistic that two to three years from now, the industry looks very different than what it looks like today. And I think some of the slower moving institutions will become much faster moving because they're going to have to. And then the other ones are going to play play hard to, to catch up. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, from from our perspective, one of the things that's um, that we've seen, I think everybody's seen in healthcare, is you know, there's this idea: if you build it, they will come. And and obviously, that hasn't really been the case in healthcare, whereas it has in other consumer sectors. And Sam, I think you, your view was, and Nate, I think you support it, is that part of the challenge here is you've got this intermediary of the employer, right, who's making the decision. What else can be done? to get employers to move more quickly or what would have to be true based on your experiences? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start. And I, I think, you know, Nate, one of the things you brought up that um, you think a lot more movement on kind of the, the smaller end of the market. So maybe it's not the, the fortune 500, but you have a lot of these uh, smaller employers who are um, maybe making decisions faster. Um, they may be less averse to change our, our, um, adopting these technologies maybe at a, at, a, at a faster clip. And and so I think that'll help just promote uh, awareness of these products and also, you know, help um, really demonstrate that these technologies work. Um, and, and I think, you know, when we think about, for instance, um, things like consumer directed healthcare, um, the, the, that's something that's, you know, it's been around for a while as a term. It's, it's been um, sort of, I, I'd say it's plateaued in terms of, um, it's, it's growth if you look at just the types of health plans people are enrolling in. Um, but there's there's some good evidence that it can reduce costs. And so um, I think that can be accelerated when you combine that kind of structure of a health benefit with tools um, like Pickwell that'll, that'll help people kind of see the benefits of a consumer-directed health plan. But then it has to be paired with the types of technologies that Ribbit offers where you, know, you say, okay, I'm a, I'm a consumer of healthcare now. Um, I have no clue what I'm buying. I, I have no clue what it costs to go to this doctor or which doctor I should go to. Um, uh, so we really need to give people these shopping tools. Um, and as you get it out there, as people use it more, we're just going to have a huge body of evidence that we can use to really uh, make our case uh, You know, as vendors of this technology, creators of this technology to, to help it proliferate. Any differences from your side, Nate? Kind of what you guys are saying? Yeah, I think so. I, I agree that smaller employers are moving quicker than larger employers. But I also think that you have a pretty meaningful batch of large employers that are driving innovation in the space. And I would say more so than even some health plans. Um, Walmart being a perfect example, I think it's a company that can redefine how healthcare is paid for and delivered in this country. And we've seen them do some pretty interesting and innovative things over the last two years. Um, I would say much more interesting and innovative than a lot of smaller employers because they have the pockets and the budget to be able to do so. So I remain optimistic that 
large employers who are looking at their kind of profitability dwindle because of how much they have to spend on healthcare um, are really leaning into this. And the ones that are going to continue to outcompete are the ones that are going to be smarter about how they help their employees pay for care. Um, I think the other thing that we're seeing in the space is going to drive adoption faster. And what I think employers need is infrastructure. Um, I think infrastructure could come in the form of tools that the benefits and HR department has in order to be able to help drive a decision. And I think even a layer behind that, and this is a shameless plug for Ribbon, is the infrastructure that enables these solutions to be accurate, to speed up how quickly they can be developed, how quickly they can be modified. Um, we're very long in that bet. And, and I personally believe that employers are going to be one of the core drivers of the shift to a different healthcare model. Nate and Sam touched on where we may see the acceleration of healthcare technology in the most general sense. But technology can mean a lot of things. To gain a better understanding of where the healthcare industry is headed, we need to look at specifics like artificial intelligence or AI and machine learning, ML. We also need to dive deeper to make sure these types of technologies are making a real impact and not just acting as buzzwords. Um, I think AI in healthcare is going to be at the base of almost everything that's happening because there's just so much information, so many decisions that need to happen. And I think we're starting to see a lot of these applications um, ranging from computer vision and helping understand an MRI all the way to the other side of how do you help uh, a consumer choose the right health plan. And so I think that we're starting to see where the value is happening. I think one of the issues that I I think the whole industry is acknowledged by now, but if you look back to a year or two ago, everything was AI, everything was ML. And AI and ML are a means to an end and healthcare at the end of the day is between a patient and a doctor to drive the best care delivery model. And then we have all this other stuff that happens around it. That's where AI and ML can help make that moment between a patient and a doctor more seamless and better. And that's where I get really excited. And then there are all these tools that get you to that point or help support that decision. Um, I, again, think we're in the first inning there. Um, I think that the difference is that the amount of hype that has gone into AI and healthcare has been just absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous in my view. And I think that we are now back in a point where it's normalized to, well, what does it actually do? How does it actually achieve the outcome that we've been trying to achieve for 20 years? And Nate, do you have any examples that you can give listeners of where it's actually being used today versus just being talked about? Yeah. I mean, companies like Ribbon that are trying to predict the right piece of information on a doctor or help somebody match a doctor, um, anything around decision support, I think there's an amazing opportunity there and we're seeing it happen. And then on the care delivery side, um, I think we've seen it in areas like clinical research and areas around pharma and how do you map a patient to the right clinical trial. Those are areas that are hugely impactful and just grossly inefficient. Sam, how, how are you guys thinking about AI at Pickwell and any use cases that you're kind of particularly fond of today or you think are pretty interesting? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as Nate, Nate talked about a few use cases on the delivery side, and there's there's certainly a lot there, um, but also on the, um, I guess, the, the demand side, on, on the customer side, there's, there's a lot, including what we do. Um, and so when you think about um, the core problem people face uh, when they're Choosing benefits when they're trying to figure out which you know what healthcare uh, they they need. Um, it's it's inherently this prediction problem, and, and people are trying to make uh, decisions uh, with a lot of uncertainty. Um, like if you just think about what 
insurances, um, health insurance or any insurance product, you're, you're saying it's, it's worth it to me to pay this money up front to manage some, un, some risk on the back end. And, and in most cases, that risk, uh, is, is unknown. People have no clue what their healthcare risk is. Uh, but we have just tons and tons of data to help people understand this. And so, um, you know, I, I think when you hear the term AI thrown around, um, you, you think, uh, Probably you, you can get caught up in the hype and think it's something that it's not. Um, but if you get into the kind of the specific uh, subdomain of AI that, that we deal in with machine learning, it's, it's just um, it, it is a tool, as Nate mentioned. We're using it to predict. We're using it to predict risk. And it just so happens that um, AI is better able to leverage all the data we have and, and generate uh, better, more meaningful predictions than if we'd used some more old, older classic uh, prediction methods. Uh, and, and so we use that. We, we're basically giving people these personalized risk prediction models. So then you can see, okay, here's here's what your risk is. Here's what the risk of you or your family. Um, and, and, and then we can... Uh, Kind of layer that in with preferences to see. Okay, okay, we know your risk now. How much do you care about protecting against it? And and so what we're doing right now is is looking at that specifically in uh, the health insurance domain. But when you look at um, a lot of the benefits decisions employees have to make more broadly, and just general financial decisions people have to make, it's this big uh, risk management problem that we have to deal with. And, and a lot of these risks are correlated. And we're trying to manage that correlated risk by piecing together uh, just a whole patchwork of different benefits. Internal data from Allegis confirms this disconnect between what consumers know about healthcare versus what they need to know. By our estimate, about 88% of Americans don't know enough about healthcare to make good decisions, and that percentage hasn't changed over the years. To address this problem, we want to move from the do-it-yourself healthcare model of today to the do-it-for-me model of the future, using AI and ML to get us there. Consumers, it seems, are ready for this transition too. Allegis recently ran a survey around technology where we found that about three quarters of consumers were open to using AI and other technologies in their healthcare planning decisions, but only about a quarter of them had access to those tools. I'm glad you kind of brought up the human component because I think what we frequently forget when we talk about AI or ML in healthcare is that at the end of the day, it's meant to drive a consumer decision to do something better than what they could have done before. And so when I think about that disconnect, I think a part of it is that there's a need to focus more on that end user and employers are thinking about that end user um, and employees are certainly thinking about that end user and those terrifying moments of vulnerability when you're sick or can you even choose a new health plan for your family. I think those are the moments where AI starts to get applied more and more and more. And that's where I think we're so early on. And so for me, I think it's helping bridge the gap of an employer understanding of like, why does it matter that this algorithm exists and helping drive this? It matters because it's going to save costs for the employer. It matters because it's going to save costs for the employee. It's going to decrease absenteeism. They'll be more productive. They'll just be generally happier. And I think that the industry went a little bit awry um, when we forgot to connect what technology is doing for the human being who needs that technology. Because the consumer, I don't think, cares if it's ML-powered or if there's somebody on the other line who's saying, here's the right plan for you. Like They just want the right decision. They just want to go see a doctor when they're sick. And so it's all about how that gets delivered and a clean interface to make it simple. So that's how I think that gets put back together and that disconnect gets bridged.
Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and Sam, if if we build on that from your perspective, do you think that employers are sort of yet convinced of the power of these tools? Um, you know, is there enough data at this point? Because that seems to be one of the challenges. It, for years, there have been all these companies that have come along with promises. And so to some extent, there's some inertia mm-hmm. that we see at the employer level, even though we're 100% convinced of the value and effectiveness of the tools today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a mix of opinions out there um, because there, there are tools that will help people navigate benefits that don't use AI. Um, and there, there are tools that do. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's what you want is your your employees to go through and have an experience where they're, um, you know, ideally they're choosing the right benefits uh, and it's just an easy process that they're satisfied with. But it's, it's the kind of situation where it's not clear that there's not an immediate feedback in, in terms of like if, if someone picked the right benefit or wrong benefit, people can be buying the, the wrong benefits for years and have no idea. They, they don't know it's the wrong benefit. Like, how do you know uh, your, your health plan uh, it was, was the right choice? Or how do you know, you know, that, um, you know, the doctor you went to is the right doctor for you to go to. It's, 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 you don't, that, that feedback is, is a lot slower than you'd see maybe in some other, uh, product market areas. Um, you know, in, in, in some regards, there, there is this problem where you, where you, without that immediate feedback, how do you kind of demonstrate and generate evidence that, um, AI is the right tool for the job? Cause it's not like you don't just give people AI and say, Hey, this is great. You're, you're giving people a solution that is, facilitated by AI. Uh, so one of the things that, that we can do is, is track over time and see, you know, are, are we saving you money? That's kind of like a, a bottom line uh, that, that people care about. And so if you're looking at health benefits, you can see how much our employees or is the employer spending on benefits. If you're looking at uh, things that help them consume healthcare, you can see, you know, are they getting the right care? Are they um, getting more preventative care? Are they getting cheaper care? And, and those are things that you can track and build up a, a, a lot of evidence to help people uh, really see the value of, of these technologies. And do you guys see any consistent themes at Pickwell, particularly around plan selection, like mistakes that that seem to be really prevalent or consistent? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's we see it all the time. And um, it's basically people over insure and, and they do so to a massive extent, like they make mistakes that, um, you know, so to some extent, you want to pay more to manage your risk. But the level of uh, risk aversion that would be required to uh, justify the choices that people are making are really far out of whack with uh, risk preferences that you see in other areas of your life. And, and so that leads us to think that this is probably irrational behavior. And so even after we adjust for those preferences, um, we're finding, you know, about 90% of people should be in high deductible plans with a health savings account. Um, but, you know, you have the adoption is going to vary from place to place, but you typically see it in the you know, 20%, 30% or, or lower than that. So there's this big mismatch and, and a lot of money wasted. And, and um, the, the money people are forgoing, um, that, that just gets compounded over time. 
In the same Alija survey, an overwhelming number of respondents said that the cost of care is the most frustrating aspect of healthcare and health benefits. Technology has the potential to jump in and solve these problems. Because, let's face it, we can't all afford to have a healthcare financial advisor or rely on a friend in the field to help us make the best decisions. The beauty of technology is that it scales efficiently and can manage cost effectively, democratizing access to better decision making. I think Sam gave an awesome example of the fact that people are overinsuring, which quite literally means they're just overpaying for insurance plans that they don't necessarily need. So that's one good way to take costs out of the system and for a consumer to save money. I think another one where we spend a lot of our time with our cost effectiveness and quality products is around helping somebody find the right doctor. So if we start with just helping somebody go to an in-network provider, that is one of the most predictive drivers of how cost-effective somebody's care is. An in-network visit might be $50 to the patient, and an out-of-network visit might be $2,000 to the patient. Or somebody going to a telemedicine visit when their child has an ear infection would cost them $25. The emergency room could well cost $4K, and they'll probably get sicker while they're in there, and then have even more costs with all the tests that happen in there. Um, so those are very visceral moments that we see happening, um, and especially for employers who are on the hook for that, that cost of care, that's, that's a really important thing to control for. And then as you start to think about elective procedures, things that may not be quite as urgent, that's where consumers have an opportunity to shop. So a knee replacement surgery for somebody in a high deductible health plan where they're on the hook for their care, that could be as low as $5,000 for somebody at a, at a good doctor who does that a lot because of the lower facility fee, seeing them in a different surgery center, seeing the right doctor. It could also be $60,000. And the consumer that might have a $10,000 deductible, they're going to pay the first 10K. And then their employer is paying the other $50,000. That is suboptimal for basically everybody. And in an industry where cost and quality of care are entirely uncorrelated, and if anything, sometimes negatively correlated, you're also likely to end up getting a worse outcome when you're paying more money for something. So nobody's really winning in that scenario. Um, so I think that those, those are just a few of the examples I could go on. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about that quality versus cost, because that's one that consumers often get wrong. They assume more expensive equals better. Can you, can you explain why that's not always the case? Yeah, um, it, is, it is frequently not the case um, because of how healthcare costs are incurred. So what we find is that the more frequently a provider does a procedure, um, so if you're getting a knee replacement surgery, you probably want to go to someone who does a lot of knee replacement surgeries, not someone who does a lot of shoulder replacement surgeries. They're also more efficient at delivering that care. Also, because they're a higher volume provider, they might be more comfortable with a lower uh, reimbursement rate from a health plan because they're getting volume. The patient's getting uh, better care. The doctor's making more money. The health plan is paying less money. So that's how you take costs out of the system. That's one example of very many times where cost and quality are not going to be correlated. So Nate, I've actually got a question for you about um, this process of choosing a physician, which I, I think is really fascinating. Um, because when you look at... Um, how people feel about their physicians. Um, people are, are really attached to their physicians. That's it's one of the most important things that, that they look at when they're choosing health plan. It's, is my doctor covered? But a lot of times that's kind of like reflecting a lot of inertia, a lot of, you know, built-in, you know, personal relationships uh, that resulted from an initial decision that probably wasn't well-informed. It's just we're, we're creatures of habit. Um, and and so it's, it's not clear, you know, like for the doctor I have that I, I went through some really 
rational, uh, smart process to do it. It's just like this person was close to my house and accepting patients. Um, so, you know, from your perspective where you're um, taking a, a data-driven approach to this, you know, what are some of the mistakes you see people making or at least information people are ignoring um, and, and how is uh, using technology curing those uh, decision mistakes? Um, one of the things that we also see when people are choosing a plan during open enrollment, the number one driver of the plan they choose is the doctor that they currently work with. Um, and if, if they're switching plans, is that other plan going to be um, in network for their provider? And I do think that people get really attached to their providers. And sometimes that's a very good thing. If you spent 15 years going to the same doctor, you have trust um, in that provider that they have your interests in mind. And I do think that that is important. Um, but I think that one mistake that people make is over leveraging things like patient satisfaction scores or physician ratings, especially in specialties where that's not predictive or important. So similarly to cost, patient satisfaction is uncorrelated with outcomes in surgical settings. And in fact, it's probably a little negatively correlated to outcomes because it, again, comes down to experience. When somebody's choosing a provider, it's really important to be able to pair the right information for that type of doctor with that decision. On the primary care side, patient satisfaction is hugely important. You want to have a relationship with your provider. You want to know that they have your best interests in mind. And so that's, that's just one area where we see people start to make some mistakes. Um, location is usually the number one driver. Um, it's convenience, it's access to care. And sometimes it actually makes sense for somebody to drive a little bit further to go to a provider that's going to be more cost effective and higher quality for them. But I think the reason that people don't do that is they've never really had the information to know that. And so without any information, you assume that you can only control for the one piece of information you know, which is how far you have to drive to get to a doctor. That's really helpful. Sam, um, you know, as I think about where we are in COVID, kind of heading into what promises to be probably a really interesting and unique open enrollment period, can you talk a little bit about the tools that Pickwell makes available um, that can actually help people navigate the system in a more remote type of environment? Yeah, yeah. And um, so what Pickwell is, is built for is, is giving people um, guidance and education around benefits um, remotely online. And, and that's where we've, we've kind of seen an increase in activity over the last uh, several months because there's just much more demand for that. But uh, essentially what we're doing is um, providing uh, a place where people can get all the information they need about their benefits, but also get uh, very clear guidance about what benefits they should be choosing and, and what benefits are going to provide them with the best value. And so, um, you know, at the, I think the highest level, we're, we're helping people understand what health insurance plan should be right for them. The adoption of healthcare technology has been sluggish over the past decades, but as we've learned in recent months, consumers are more than ready for change. The technology exists to make finding, paying for, and managing care more affordable and more efficient. Now it's up to employers and benefit administrators to embrace this technology, push for engagement, and make clear the tangible benefits of using it. Our thanks to Nate from Ribbon Health and Sam from Pickwell for being part of this episode and sharing their perspectives. If you would like to learn more about this topic, our guest, or download the research discussed in this episode, visit allegis.com backslash podcast. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, leave a rating or review. 
we'd really appreciate it. You've been listening to Creating Healthier Futures with Allegis, the industry's leading benefit administration platform.